2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl and John, thank you very much, and welcome to the Halftime Report, everybody. Hope you're having a great Wednesday. I am Brian, in once again for Scott, and stocks are jumping. We got decent results out of Nike, FedEx, consumer confidence on the rise, so... Our fears about an earnings recession may be a bit overblown. We'll talk about that and inflation. That's not all that's going on in the macro markets. you got reports maybe of China pushing Putin to engage in talks over Ukraine and the rebalancing of a massive J.P. Morgan quant fund. that could be generating some big time buying as well. Let's hit it all with Bridget Vangelo, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova and Jenny Harrington. Before that, let's get a check now on your markets. They are up. The Dow is up 495. That is one and a half percent. The Nasdaq's up 1.5% as well. It's a 154-point gain. And the 10-year Treasury yields at 3.68%. All right, let's kick it all off. Stephen Weiss, we got a lot going on today. We got numbers out of Nike. We got numbers out of FedEx. Consumer confidence. I pointed to a couple of other things that maybe others are poo-pooing. To what do you ascribe today's sort of sudden strength to? I,
3: I think it's, uh, it's optimism that's, probably uh, not really uh, justified if uh, Nike and that I guess that's what most people point to Nike and FedEx uh, reporting I would say Nike a really good quarter FedEx an okay quarter but but here's the story of those two let's talk about FedEx first FedEx has missed what four out of the last five quarters so finally with a new CEO they got religion and set a bar that they could beat so they're talking about slowing continuing next year Nike, similarly, they missed the last couple of quarters, inventories rose, they're paring down inventories. Frankly, if we had every company report a disappointing quarter or quarters prior to what we're going to see in the fourth quarter and set those bars so low to reset, then I'd be bullish. But that's not the case. What we're going to see going forward is that companies are going to miss and earnings in the S&P are going to decline. So we've seen these kind of pops before because, let's face it, Markets go up most of the time, 90% of the time, and people are generally bullish. People are generally optimistic. But this rally is going to fail. It's the late Christmas rally occurring, what, two days before Christmas. So it came much later than people expected. I don't think it's sustainable. In terms of China pushing uh, Russia talks, well, let's see how that works out. I don't think Putin's going to kowtow to Xi or anybody else. He's got to figure a way to get out of there, and he wants the territory. But it was on the tape. But it was on the tape, Stephen. That's
2: why I brought it up. It was on the tape. People were talking about it. I had traders sending it to me. You have this J.P. Morgan quant fund, which is way too wonky to go into, but you know what I'm talking about. That may be driving a bunch of call option buying because this massive rebalancing.
3: Yeah, it is massive rebalancing. That's what we'll see into the end of the year. It's a quarterly rebalance, and then it's on steroids because it's annual rebalance, and you have to adjust for definitely your 60-40 portfolios, meaning fixed income, your credit, and your equity portfolios. Get through all that noise, though, and what you've got is a slowing economy, and you can't fight the Fed. You can't say, I'm joining the Fed when the market goes up and it's free money, and say, no, the Fed's not going to be right. In declining, in hitting the economy, Stop. declining jobs. So I'm still bearish.
2: Sure you can. It's you've been on social media, Weiss. You, change you, you could change your views every single day. You Justify it. Sure. It's, it's it's like a national hobby at this point. All right, Brenda. Let's. I'm. A, my. I need my heart to grow two sizes too big. I'm a little bit grouchy today. <laughs> There's no way Nike's mildly <laughs> better-than-expected earnings are driving a 500-point move in the Dow. Is there? I mean, is that literally it no way
4: well i think it speaks to just how negative things have become right in over the last several weeks and even throughout much of this quarter we've had strategists after strategists come out talk about how horrendous earnings are going to be in 2023 we have a consumer sector that's really over inventoried so i think hearing from nike clearly a bellwether within that group that, you know things aren't as bad as everybody expected and by the way you know the inventory clearing process is going a little better maybe if we look through uh, to other names within that group and assume that you know maybe the inventory problem will be behind us uh, when mostly behind us after we get through the holiday season that maybe things aren't quite as dire as we're expecting that they might be next year so I think there's a little bit of that at play obviously it's one day coming after several down days so a little yeah. bit of a real- rally. But nice to see that positive
2: fundamental news. And and Jenny, there will be talk about, you know, earnings, earnings, recessions, et cetera. Evercore's annual note, by the way, notes uh, that you can have earnings go down and stock prices still go up. We think that they must go down in tandem. That is not the case. Evercore points of 1970 and a few other years where earnings in the S&P went down, but the markets overall went up. What is your take on the numbers that we have seen, and what we should expect out of earnings, a quote recession, and the markets?
5: Well, I think if earnings go down and the market goes up, that means you've got the valuation, the multiple, improving. And I think when we're at 17 and change times, which is what we're at right now, I don't think that's a likely scenario. Probably, I don't know what the multiple on the market was in the 1970s, but I'll bet it was a lot lower than it is today. So if the market were at I don't know, 13, 14 times right now, I would say, sure, that's plausible. Earnings could, could go down and maybe we get back to 15, 16 times multiple. So I don't think that math works anymore. I'm actually more in the Steve camp, which I hate, although I don't share his level of pessimism, but okay. I look at this period that we're in as one of enormous recalibration, mean reversion, We are digesting 10 years of excess, excess valuations, excess of behavior, excess of liquidity, and we're digesting that. And that's not going to happen in a year. So if we end the year where we are now, which is down, what are we like, down 19%-ish right now, I'm going to consider that a victory for the digestion process. I actually feel better today about 2023 than I did a couple weeks ago when the market was a bit higher. I think just because we're working off of a lower level right now, it seems like the prospects going forward are easier. That's not me being enthusiastic. Um, But I think we're in this tough, hard work consolidation period. I think money can still be made, but you need to choose your stocks very, very carefully. And you need to work hard for that money versus the rising tide that raised all ships for the past five, 10 years. You can't just play the market. You can't just be in the market and get it, but you can still make money. So I'm I don't know. I'm
2: encouraged. Jenny, how? how I I, I, I can't. I'm trying to. It it feels like sort of lukewarm grilled chicken from the market's perspective. I'll eat it, (laughs) but I'm not going to enjoy it. And so how do we make money in this market?
5: Well, I know this has become completely cliche over the past several months, but it really is, you need to change the playbook. The playbook that last, that worked for the past decade will not for the next. So I think that you look for companies with cash flow, dependability, and really legitimate, predictable earnings growth, mm-hmm. plus a very, very um, reasonable or rational valuation. So you want to look for things, um, you know, I added Kohl's stores a couple weeks ago. And, and that is a stock where I think the anticipation of negativity drove the share price to an excessively low point. So that's already had its recession in the share price, in the behavior. I think you can pick things like that off Mm -hmm. um, and make money. And by the way, there's a a huge dividend yield on the stock right now, nearly 7%. So you can make money in these kinds of things, but you can't just throw it. You can't just throw it. We're going to get a little more on that. that.
2: Jenny, we're going to get a little more on that specific stuff later. Don't want to give too much away. we got like 50 minutes to go. And Joe Terranova, sorry, sorry. before I go to you, I've got to issue the most important correction of my career. The Grinch's heart didn't grow two times. It grew three times. It was two times three. too small. Three. So, I, you know, I should probably just retire or quit right now. Uh, that aside, Joe, you got my point about earnings. That, that Evercore noting, I'm not saying to, it's 1970. I myself was not alive in that year. That earnings can go down markets can still squeak mm-hmm. out some small gains. Would that be something you expect maybe in the first half of next year, or do it, does everything go down?
6: Oh, well, We'll find out and react accordingly, Brian, and I think that's the way to, to, to manage the risk around what the forecast ultimately could be. We know walking into 2023, uh, potential earnings recession is on the table. What do you do in advance of that? You try and find companies which do not have – Uh, the the fundamental evidence to suggest that they would be most vulnerable in that situation. So it's kind of leaning towards what what Jenny's saying. You want to look at the balance sheet. You want to make sure it's more qualitative in its nature. But I think it's it's important to kind of understand what's going on here today and really what's gone on over the last week. I think investors, traders, all of us alike have been uh, taught a, a significant lesson just on how sentiment and positioning can move markets. And you go back eight days ago, you had the CPI report, a market pressing against 4,100, extreme optimism. Generally, people talking, myself included, about a breakout above a 200-day moving average. Well, that was a little bit too optimistic. The positioning was a little bit too bullish. The market washed that away. And then you had a day like yesterday where you take the S&P below 3,795. Mm. The market takes a really good punch to the gut from the BOJ. And quite candidly, I think it, it, it digested it pretty well and, and stayed on its feet. So I think that's indicative of where we are this week when maybe sentiment and positioning got a little bit too bearish. Last point on all of it, understand liquidity is going to begin to wane as we move through this week. It's going to wane even further next week. A lot of people have closed the books. Don't make too much of the moves that we're seeing in the market up or down.
2: Even up? Joe, can't we just feel good hey, for a hey, couple of days? Brian. It's Christmas.
6: Well, well <laughs> what's there to feel down about, Brian? I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting there's anything to feel down about. I think what, you, what you're doing is understand there's mechanics going on yeah. within the market. And I think if you want to feel good about something, feel good about what fundamentally happened yesterday with the BOJ, yeah. what happened after the close with Nike and FedEx, which was about what? Expectations were incredibly low. That's it. Earnings weren't so dad, spectacular. Dad, I'm going to get a D minus in math.
2: You bring home a D plus, and you expect Dad to be happy. All right. You know what I'm happy about, Joe, is that today's the shortest was. day of the year. The winter solstice. Every day is longer. But you ask what we can feel bad about. We're about ready to find out because Steve Weiss wants to jump back in.
3: I want to jump back in, and I want to point out the problem with listening to strategists and analysts or or anybody. They tend to cherry pick. Data or numbers or technical aspects that support their bias. So I'll give you an example. So while you were filling our our minds with minutiae on green eggs and ham or whatever it was and uh, and uh, the shortest day of the year, I looked at a chart. In February '69, the the uh, S&P was 816. Okay. So yes, it went down to 622 in August of 1970, and then had a rally. You know where it was ten years later? It was at 352. So if you want to party on and think you're going to be like 1970 when you were decidedly not and you had a massive recession and then another negative economy in 1974, then you cherry pick that piece of data and go ahead because I bet you're going to lose money on it. The second point, you know, I'm getting a little tired of the refrain. You think you're grouchy today? I'm grouchy. Like, Jenny, Uh, you know, I hate to agree with Steve. By the way, if people had agreed with me in this show, all (laughs) the panels this year, I've been the only one that's been decidedly negative coming into the year and all year. So you guys also party on and have a great time. Maybe you agreed with me, you'd lose less money. Who's partying on? My heart's still not growing.
2: It's okay to be grumpy. Wow, that's serious. It, 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 it takes all sides. You know? Color me a rainbow. I, it's all good.
3: It does, it does. It I'm does. It takes judge, two Steve, sides, I'm, and one who's, side's right and one side's wrong. Who's, who, said, who said anyone's losing money, Steve? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Nobody is this year. I forgot.
2: I think Jenny's up. I
3: that's that Jenny's actually having a good year. Diddy's strategy has really proven itself this year. It's all. It's all good. I love you. Yep. The shortest sure. day you, of the year.
2: We live in the greatest country in the world. It's going to get. The days are going to get longer. It's, it, everything's great. All right. Let's Brian, talk, about infla- talk about inflation. Hold on. We got to talk about inflation because it's getting a little bit better too, Stephen. All right. We're, we're we're all good. Everything's good. All right. The root of the divergence <laughs> between the Federal Reserve and the markets' outlooks on rates are sharply differing views on how and if inflation comes down. Let's bring in CNBC senior economics
7: reporter Steve Leesman, maybe with a little bit of good news on inflation-ish. I, I think this is potentially good news. What you have, uh, uh, Brian, like you're saying, you know, uh, one side is right, one side is wrong. You've got this large gap in the outlook for the funds rate between the Fed and the market. And you can explain it by differences on where each is uh, thinks inflation is going and even on where they think it is right now. And that's the important part. And some think the Fed is looking at it the wrong way and about to make a big mistake by raising rates too much. Mike England of Action Economics points out our own view is that the Fed has toggled from one view to another, from transitory. And they were pretty adamant about that to a 1970s view. You guys were just talking about it of entrenched inflation. The key to the market view, looking at the relatively benign inflation of the past five months, And annualizing that, rather than using the year-over-year, which incorporates a lot of bad inflation from a year ago, here's the five-month annualized data. Uh, So 7.1% is the year-over-year for the headline, 6% for the core. But the last five months, headline's been 2.5% because of the big decline in energy prices. The core is still high, but better than it looks, uh, if you just look at the year-over-year, 4.7%. Fed Chair Jay Powell, almost certainly aware of these calculations, but he continues to Harp on with this hawkish view on the subset of the inflation data, the service sector, ex-housing, where prices are driven mostly by wages, Powell believes. He also thinks wages won't come down until the labor market looses up. That's why he thinks it's further down the road that inflation happens. The result, a Fed that sees the funds rate as high as 5.12, staying there, a market that's built in rate cuts and sees rates ending the year at 4.38. A part of the gap, the market also building in a strong chance of recession, such that it sees the Fed fixing its transitory mistake with a worse mistake of raising too far and holding for too long. So, and Brian, one thing to think about is if inflation, underlying inflation, is indeed lower, which would be the good news I offer you, it also means that real rates are higher and the Fed is exerting more restraint on the economy earlier than perhaps it thought.
2: But isn't the problem, and Joe kind of alluded to this in the stock market perspective, basically stocks will go up and they'll go down and we will react accordingly. I think that was well said, because I think, Steve, ultimately we're not going to know if the Fed really screwed up until probably a couple months or quarters after they screwed up. Right. I mean, if the if the fuse is lit, the fire won't
7: start for a while. How soon would we know? I think that's right. I mean, the way to get the contemporary view of what's happening is to listen to these earnings reports and kind of fold that in against the data. That's how I do it for what it's worth. Brian, I'm sure your panelists have a view on that. But, you know, one company's earnings report is not uh, evidence or data. It's a piece of the anecdotes that you need to build a case. And so when we listen to uh, uh, what FedEx is doing to try to maintain essentially its profit margins, is how I listen to what they're saying. Um, You want to figure out how widespread that is. Only the data can tell you that. But if there's a lot of FedExes out there laying off people, uh, cutting back on on, on, on CapEx, it's something you really want to watch for. That's how you get into a recession. And you can pretty much get a feel for that on a contemporary basis.
2: Joe, I think you got a question. Jump on in here.
6: I sure do. Steve, if you account for the quantitative tightening in 2023, what's the Fed funds rate look like at that point?
7: Well, it depends on how much you do. I just read an analysis. Somebody thinks the 400 billion we've worked off is worth another 50 basis points. Um, You know, there's various estimates out there, but um, I, I think you're right, Joe, to point out that that is going on as well. And. What's a little unclear to me and i listen to every word the fed says is how much they're incorporating that into their sense of tightening so they have the uh the rate hikes and they also have the qt and that is going apace and i don't think they're going to change that um the, the, there's a slight sort of technical aspect to this uh joe which is there's a lot of money sloshing around as a result of all the uh quantitative easing the federal reserve did so there's a point at which people believe the QT becomes what's called binding, and that is has an impact mm. on the market. We may not be there yet, Joe. The, the 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 part that's come off may be kind of frothy, and and that's why I think your question is a good one because you're asking about 2023. I think next year is when QT becomes binding. That is has an effect on liquidity in the market.
2: That's a good question and a better answer. And, and uh, Steve, I know you got a really fascinating segment coming up tomorrow. We'll look forward to that. Steve Liesman on inflation. Uh, Steve, thank you very much. Pleasure, let's go Brian. now. Let's go now around. Brenda, you live in California. That's kind of the capital of inflation, electricity prices, gas, whatever it might be. How do you roll in inflation into your market and investment analysis?
4: Well, I think we need to look. There's so much being driven by the macro right now, and when we think about inflation, it absolutely needs to start coming down. But one thing that we're concerned about is either the Fed is. Rightly focused on the on the labor market. But if we do start to see weakening there, history shows that usually it there's not just a little bit of weakening it kind of builds upon itself. And if that scenario does play out it will certainly solve our inflation problem. But I think it also will put put us into the recession that so many are predicting would happen in 2023. But I think from a very big picture perspective, we look at from an asset allocation point of view and things like bonds um, are much more attractive right now. So I think um, those would be protective in an environment scenario like that.
2: I guess, Um, Jenny, if somebody said to me, nobody cares what I think, but if they if they did and they said, why, why would give us a reason to be optimistic heading into the new year? I probably might. I don't have some great wisdom. I would just say everybody's so damn bearish. Maybe you take the other side of the boat.
5: Well, I think you could you could go to the Yardeni claim which is this or the Yardeni phrase which is this will be the most anticipated recession in the history of mankind if one comes about. And so what you could argue is is that stock prices have already discounted some very very bad case scenarios. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of where you could have upside and if in fact earnings aren't as bad, you know, right now I think estimates are for $230 earnings on the S&P 500 if that holds up I would consider that a victory because even though people are saying 230, really, we're all thinking kind of like 225, 220, maybe worse. Some Mm -hmm. strategists are out saying 200. So stock prices are reflecting that. I think that's where you could get upside in 2023 in that 2022 overly discounted, terrible outcomes.
2: You see the theme today, guys? It's It's the winter solstice. Every day is getting longer. It's sully side up for the rest of the show. All right. Up next. It's it is the
5: heart-growing three sizes. Th-
2: that, that's <laughs> it, because it was too small. Our chart of the day is coming up. It is one of the stocks leading today's gains after strong earnings. All right, one week up 5%. What is this mystery chart? Well, if you're on the radio, you're out of luck. TV people will tell you. Halftime Report is back in two. All right. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. All right. Let's look at Nike. You you got it. That's our chart of the day, obviously. Shares of Nike are surging after beating estimates, the move helping to boost the Dow today. In fact, obviously, it's the biggest point gainer on the Dow. It is actually the best stock in the S&P 500 as well. If you remember from such shows as yesterday, we talked a lot about it with Stephanie Link, who was on video today. Stephanie Link's on the telephone, but we had to bring her back in because she talked up Nike. She nailed it, got it right. Jim Cramer, Steph, loved the number, called pretty much every line, every point a beat. The market clearly agrees. What's your takeaway from Nike? Is there anything to be even a little skeptical about?
9: <laughs> well, thanks for having me back on, Brian. Um, no, look, I think it was a really, really good quarter. I think headed into the print we talked about yesterday, I thought demand would be OK uh, because we had heard from Tapestry, sketchers, Capri, Holdings. They all came in with good top line numbers. So but I, the, the, the total revenue number up 27 percent on a constant currency basis, way better than expected, led by North America up 30 percent. And China saw the first positive Result in revenue since the first quarter of 2021. That's on a constant currency basis. DTC is doing its thing. Digital is growing double digits. The big questions really had to, were surrounding the gross margins and inventories, and they also both beat. Uh, inventories are still high. So if I had to do, if I had to be a critic on one point, 43% is a high number, but inventory dollars fell 3% in units fell high single digits, and I just think they're being very conservative. Uh, so, good report, conservative guide, as usual. Um, stock is mm. not cheap, not cheap, but they're taking a lot of share. Do
2: you want to trim any of it into this strength, stuff? Take a little money, take a little – what do they say? You don't lose money by taking profit.
9: I know. Um, No, I don't. And I'll tell you why, because I think the the DTC piece of the story is now 42 percent of total revenues. And that's growing at 25 percent on a constant currency basis. And that carries higher margins. And so I think the margin recovery story is just in the early innings.
2: Stephanie Link, we'll let you go. Thanks for calling in. Nike, an important story. By the way, an important story that maybe is under the radar, but now won't be because we're going to talk about it on national TV, is Foot Locker. Foot Locker getting a huge lift from Nike today. Their fourth quarter guidance indicated that total sales and comp store sales will be down, but the stock is up today. Jenny Harrington, the stock is up big in the last couple of months, down in the year, but big over the last couple of months. You bought it a few months ago. Same question to you. Are you going to trim any FL into strength?
5: No, I'm not. But I have a very different valuation profile here than what Nike has. So you've got Foot Locker that's trading at about six times earnings with a 4.5% dividend yield. The stock was crushed earlier in the year when they said Nike was going to reduce the inventory that they sent them to sell because they wanted to go direct to consumer. So it's kind of cool because you have to some degree the same theme that's working for Nike, which is, hey, guess what? People are still buying. Inventories are correcting. Supply chains are correcting. Things are getting better. But you get to play, I get to play that through Foot Locker, where I get to collect a dividend yield. The portfolio is a little bit more spread out. The stock has already adjusted, I think, for a very, very horrible case scenario. And by the way, that was um, earlier in the year, and when, when that happened, management stepped in and said, OK, but we know what our business is like, and we're still minting cash. So they jacked up the dividend. They put in a huge share buyback. I think those things put a really nice floor under the stock. So, no, I'm continuing to hold Foot Locker, and I think it'll be a nice a nice holding for the next year or so.
2: Foot Locker. Who knew? Let's go to the mall, play some Gallagher with Ferris Bueller. It's insane. Jenny <laughs> Harrington, thank you very much. Buy some
5: sneakers. <laughs> That's sneakers. Who's sneakers? Coming up. What do you call them, tennis shoes?
2: Yeah, I I don't play tennis. Hunting for yield. We're going to show you the best dividend plays in this market right now. kind of goes on to our Bill Gross interview from yesterday. Some of the names he liked actually moving higher today. Plus, the committee is ready to grade your trade, answering specific questions about specific trades. Send us an email to askhalftime at cbc.com or tweet us. Go to MySpace, send a pigeon. We're here for you.
0: Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Ukrainian President Zelensky is expected to be at the White House in less than two hours. He's set to meet with President Biden and hold a joint news conference this afternoon before speaking to Congress this evening. This is Zelensky's first known trip outside of his country since Russia invaded in February. Meanwhile, Russian President Putin told his top military leaders that they must learn from and fix the problems suffered in Ukraine. Putin also promised unlimited financial support for the Ukrainian invasion, this despite widespread reports of many troops going without basic supplies or pay. And legendary running back Franco Harris has died. He was a driving force in establishing the Steelers' dynasty that won four Super Bowls back in the 1970s. He is perhaps best known for the iconic catch known as the Immaculate Reception, a stunning feat that led to the Steelers' first playoff win. Harris died just two days before the 50th anniversary of that Immaculate Reception play. Franco Harris dead. At the age of 72, and they are retiring his jersey, Brian.
2: Oh, what a loss! And that catch yeah. not only turned around the Steelers, but turned around the city for so many people. Franco yeah. Harris will be missed, Bertha. He was one of the greats. Just for sure. unbelievable teams in the 70s too, Bertha. Thank you very much. All right. So, famed investor Bill Gross was here on the halftime report yesterday, called in, and he mentioned several dividend-paying stocks that he owns. He specifically mentioned these names. Analy Capital, ticker NLY, AGNC, ticker AGNC, the Elarian MLP, and Energy Transfer, ET, which is a pipeline company. All right, so Jenny, you're kind of our resident dividend guru slash investor. What did you make of Bill's take?
5: Well, I actually don't like three of the four. I don't like either of the mortgage REITs. And the reason being is for me, when I'm trying to construct a dividend portfolio, my primary goal is to create a pipeline of income that is going to be completely resilient through horrible situations like the great financial crisis and March of 2020. And those two mortgage REITs, you can't say that for. We do not know how they're going to perform and how their portfolios will hold up in a time where interest rates are very dislocated and what you saw coming out of the great financial crisis is those kinds of companies were totally destroyed the dividends were slashed there was permanent capital destruction there um so i steer clear of mortgage rates all the time the eulerian mlp etf i have a problem with because if you really dig into mlp ETFs, there's a nasty double taxation there and so you don't actually you have something always working against you so i don't like those Energy transfer partners I own in the portfolio and I like very much. This is a classic kind of old school MLP. You do have a K-1. If you hate K-1s, there's other pipeline companies that you can own. So that's what I think of of those four picks. Conceptually, I love the fact that he's out there talking about high dividend yield stocks.
2: Yeah. And energy transfer, as I noted yesterday, if you missed it, Kelsey Warren, the founder and executive chairman, has bought more than $100 million Mm -hmm. worth of energy transfer himself this year, we do it in, this, in insider buying segments on Worldwide Exchange. Joe Terranova, very quickly, dividend stocks. Are they, they're not too heavy in the Joe T, but you got to take on them?
6: Well, Steve Weiss may not know this, but he owns Energy Transfer Partners indirectly through Joe T because it's a name that we own. Um, in addition to that, personally, I own Visa. I own Deere. Those are two uh, dividend plays with five-year dividend growth. Uh, in double digit territory territory and then Devon energy is another name that I would offer in the energy space as well. It's also seeing the revenue growth besides the dividend growth of the last several years so those are three names that I could offer. Brenda.
4: Yeah I think to the extent that there's a high correlation between high quality companies and companies that pay dividends. It's a good place to be but. I would say if you're owning something just for the yield I think the risk reward in bonds right now is a lot better than many high dividend paying stocks um, When we think about yields of five to seven percent in some cases for investment grade opportunities within bonds I just think it, it's it, it it's become a huge game changing move that's happened over the last year in the bond market so I think that's that place I would put my money instead of reaching for yield by by adding risk uh, within dividends some dividend paying stocks.
2: All right, there you go. Good discussion there based on some of Bill's stock ideas, which, by the way, like the market, rising today. All right, up next, the committee is ready to grade your trade. Reach out to us via email or Twitter, and we are back grading some of your trades coming up. day for the markets nasdaq up one and a half percent you're welcome all right time now for grade my trade first up we got this the global edition by the way we got a trade from shakar in india Shekhar bought tesla at 157 dollars so he's down brenda you own tesla what are your thoughts on the stock now trading at a low and maybe what should Shekhar do
4: Yeah I think if we look at the stock today and look at the fundamentals of the company and take. Elon Musk and Twitter out of the picture for a moment. We see a story that's markedly different than what the stock price is suggesting is suggesting. But I think if we look going forward you know the multiple is not cheap but it is trading at less than the company's projected growth rate which continues to be really impressive. And I think if we look within that top 10 of the S&P 500, Tesla definitely stands out in our view as being a company that really has the potential to grow significantly from where it's at today. So it's been a frustrating uh, stock to hold, but we're continuing to stick with it uh, for those reasons. And I think investors will be rewarded over the long term in this name.
2: And it is an anniversary, Joe. I don't know if you know this, but uh, I didn't either. I was just told in my ear that today's the two-year anniversary of Tesla joining the S&P 500. Tesla, two years old today from an index perspective.
6: That doesn't make the holders of the stock feel any better. No, it doesn't. I was trying. It's it's been an epic (laughs) loss of momentum in this quarter. Uh, there's, There's something, clearly a dynamic going on with this stock beyond the fundamentals. And I don't think you could sit in it very long and just absorb the losses. There's other places that you could be.
2: I think it traded on the Musk premium for a long time. Everybody everybody loved Musk two years ago. Now they suddenly, everybody hates Musk. It feels like the stock trades with public opinion on Elon Musk. Who knows? All right, next up, Oscar in Iceland bought Merck at $90.10. Joe, I'll go back to you. How would you grade Oscar's trade on MRK? Probably a B. A
6: little bit late. Um, You could have clearly bought this stock uh, below 80 it was there for quite some time. I think if, if Oscar's looking right now at the stock at 110, maybe wants to take a little bit off, I have no problem with that. I'd stay in the majority of the position, and that's what I'm doing with my personal position. Uh, it's been one of the better trades so far
2: year to date. Steve, you, you had Merck. You sold it. Your take on Oscar's yep. trade. Obviously, Oscar's still holding it.
3: Yeah, look, I, I think it's good holding. It's a relatively low beta versus uh, Moderna, which I own. And the reason I sold it is I went in for a trade. And when you make money, as you referenced earlier, you never go broke taking a profit. Look, some days I regret selling it because I still a cheap stock, still an extremely well run. I think the best run pharma company. But on the other hand, I've got Moderna, which I'm with a much bigger pipeline, a much better balance sheet. Not that yep. Merck's balance sheet's bad. It's not. But, but Moderna's stellar. So given my market view... I'd just rather be with Moderna for the
2: long term. Listen, I know on a serious note, Joe, I know we've talked about, obviously, the pandemic for years, but we have a lot of health care issues in this country that are not only not going away, but probably getting worse, if you know what I mean. I mean, do you have a macro take on health care in general, longer term? You know, listen,
6: one year ago, uh, I talked (laughs) about health care and many others on the show did as well. And the the valuation discount that existed for the sector relative to the S&P. Brian, it was at a 30-year a discount of nearly 20%. So this is the perfect environment to have a sector which offers you a little offense, a little defense, a little bit of growth, and a little bit of value in your portfolio, and I think you stay with it. You know what's interesting? Steve mentions Moderna, and I think a lot of the viewers, when they hear that, they think of momentum. But I think it's important to understand this is also a stock that has some quality represented on its balance sheet. It's cheap. There's, there's cash there, and it's more than just momentum. So I, I, I think y- you have to look at these stocks in the totality, not only mm-hmm. beyond just price movements, but also studying what does the balance sheet look like, what are the debt sh- levels look like, what are the fundamentals, and then address accordingly your portfolio allocation to a sector that I think people should be in.
2: Okay, we're going to move on to a stock that There's uh, we- no
3: other company... Bri- Brian, let me just say this. There's no other drug company... Biotech company, et cetera, that has the pipeline that Moderna has, nor has $25 billion, a third of their market cap in cash and no debt, period. That's high quality.
2: There you go. All right, here's a stock that it, I've never heard mentioned on this network Mativ Holdings, M A T V. And we're going to talk about Rick because Rick bought Mativ Holdings, which is a Georgia based maker of specialty you know, fiber optic solutions, adhesives for healthcare, et cetera. Rick bought Madoff at $29. Stock's gone down. He's added more at $19.40. Jenny, again, not a company I, I've ever really even heard mentioned or mentioned much on this network. Rick's down. He's added more. What do you think of his trade?
5: Well, okay, Brian, the reason you haven't heard of it is because it's the combination of Nina Paper and Schweitzer-Magui, both of which are very, very old companies that were way back spun off from Kimberly-Clark. So they came together for Mative. so Mativ as its own entity is kind of new. As far as the trade goes, philosophically I'm giving you an A plus because it's exactly the kind of thing that you want to own in this environment. If you talk to the company, they'll tell you an enormous part of our business is economically resilient. So they make things like when you buy clams at the grocery store, the little netted bags that the clams come in, if you have a bandage, the little white fiber thing in the middle of the bandage, that's what they make. And we just need all of their products for everyday life trades at seven times earnings, has an eight and change yield right now. So it's really, really compelling. The downside is when you paid for it, 29 for it originally, it got caught up in this whole other leg down in the market where people were really hating anything with a lot of leverage and small cap got sold off. So I'll give you like not an A plus, something a lot worse than that for the timing of your first buy, but. I don't know. I think you get at least an A for adding to it at 19. And I think it's a great time and place to buy it now. I think kind of mm. the emotion has flushed out and you can own it and just collect the yield and, you know, float along.
2: Also, I think it's it, better it, than a bond. Well, good. He got, you're giving it out an A. Also, if old Rick is sitting around the Christmas table <laughs> and someone's like, quick, what's a company based in Georgia that the former, formerly known as Schweitzer Maudit spun off of Kimberly Clark? Rick's going to know the answer. And Rick will be a hero to his friends Yeah, and it will also
5: kill the dinner conversation.
2: That's it, Rick. I think dominating. it will ruin the
5: Christmas dinner conversation, that's it. though.
2: Jenny, that's what we talk <laughs> about. All right, keep your trades coming hey, in, hey, folks. Hey, hey, Brian. Yep, here we go. Go ahead, Steve. Or We're Joe. Early,
3: so I, can we end the show early so I can roll, out, run out and buy my daily bag of clams?
2: Your daily bag of the clams? Stuff we
3: use every day, right? Uh, yeah, uh, we made, <laughs> Jen, Jenny mentioned that you use everyday items, like clam bag holders. i got to go get one. I haven't got one today.
5: <laughs> All right, how about deer netting?
2: (laughs) That's it. It's a chili and a milk. (laughs) Guys, thank you very much. Up next, Mike Santoli will join us with his midday word. you got two minutes to go get your bag of clams, unless you have a shellfish allergy. We're back right after this. Let's get your midday market word at the NYSE with senior markets commentator Michael Santoli. Mike, what are you looking at today?
1: You know, Brian, it seems like this trading range and really we can dial it back several months and call it pretty much a trading range in the S&P 500 seems to run from, let's just say, a 30 percent chance of a soft landing in the economy and earnings and maybe a 70 percent chance at the very high end. And each day you kind of turn that dial up or down and that tells you how the market's doing. Today we're turning it up a little bit. Consumer confidence numbers coming through pretty well. Uh, Apparently we keep looking for the extent of Americans' appetite to buy sneakers. Nike says we're not there yet, still uh, spending pretty heavily. So it's a feel-better day in terms of the economy and, and how companies are able to deliver. Not sure how far that gets us, although there has been something of a pattern this year with early month weakness in stocks followed by late month strength relatively it happened both in november and october and and you can go back into early parts of this year as well so maybe that combined with the seasonal factors is getting some of the sellers out of the way and also if some of what we're seeing in the real weakness in downside momentum in the big tech stocks has been tax loss harvesting mm-hmm. at some point that runs out still pretty high burden of proof for the bulls right here till you get above 4100 let's say on the s&p sure
2: nice bounce off 38 though we'll take it yep any green day ahead of the holidays we'll take it mike thanks very much Mark. there you go well, semiconductors seeing some gains today with the macro market as well, but it's been a tough year for them, down about 30% as a group. But Micron set to report its numbers after the bell tonight, how the committee is playing this group, and the setup with Christina Partzinevolos next on Halftime. Micron set to release their earnings after the bell today, offering a little insight maybe into the state of the semiconductor market or at least the DRAM market as the group remains on track for its worst year since 2008. Christina Partsinevelos follows the group for us. She's following the money, and she joins us now. Christina.
10: Well, what we've seen with Micron over the last little while is that maybe you can argue the near term numbers have already been discounted. And that's because Micron has warned uh, the earliest, early November, that they were going to cut production by 20 percent for their DRAM and NAND chips. And then at the end of November, they also warned that 2023 as a whole was going to be a weak year for the memory market. So you take those factors in, you take the fact that. The overall memory market has been oversupplied for about 18 months. That's put pressure on prices to come down. Inventory levels have climbed. And, you know, we often talk within the chip segment that there's been some weakness in smartphones and PCs. Well, that's starting to trickle over to enterprise. So, What does that mean for a company like Micron, especially when they are dealing with so much inventory? More specifically, we can probably pull up a number for you. Uh, Goldman Sachs had a number of 169 days average. That's days of inventory for memory chip makers versus the Q3 average of 106. So there's definitely some room to fall there, even though the company has worn several times already, uh, Brian. So this is something that we'll be looking at, as well as any cuts to CapEx, because if there's cuts to CapEx, that will affect equipment makers like lamb, applied materials. And then China. We put so much emphasis on the reopening of China, but we've got Chinese New Year coming up. Will we see further price cuts, discounts, all of the above?
2: Yeah, but isn't Micron, I tried to reference the intro, I know we like to lump these companies in. Well, they're a semiconductor company. Semiconductors are very different things. Yes. Micron's in a very different market. DRAM, NAND, almost a more commoditized market. Is that fair, Christina? I mean, how much can we read about the group from Micron?
10: That, that is a very good point. All of them are, fall into different categories. Some are design makers. Some uh, use, you know, third suppliers to, to build the chips. Some do both, like Intel. With Micron, they are trying to build out their fabs. They're trying to eventually do both, but they do use a third-party suppliers. So often mm. you can say, hey, if there's weakness coming out of China, that will affect certain yeah. companies like Micron. And memory, given memory is used in every single electronic out there, that too yeah. would affect the company.
2: Steve, I'm told you sold your NVIDIA puts. Okay, you're selling a put. So does that mean you're suddenly bullish or you're just taking profit on the put?
3: No, it, uh, it's such a small profit. The time value is what kills you. And you can't go out too far on any options on, on a company with the beta of NVIDIA because the time premium is so, so expensive. So to me, you know, we I, I sit in the board of a company that builds data centers, and they're not building it anymore okay. in Europe. And they're slowing down the U.S. They, they use chips as well. So, yes, each chip company has a different profile. Micron, as you point out, is more commodity-focused. However, I love the manager of yep. Micron. I just okay. think you're seeing economic slowdowns hitting all chips. Appreciate
2: it. Thank you. All right, Final Trades, next on Half. Have- Time for Final Trades. Joe, kick it off. I'm looking at relative
6: outperformance and a name I want to bring up is VeriSign. This stock is higher month to date, it's higher in the last five yeah. days relative to technology and it's a quality company, Steve.
2: ticker symbol VRSN. Thank you. Steve?
3: The, uh, I'm pressing my short in Rivian, it's been a phenomenal trade. It doesn't participate in any rally. It's got a fortress balance sheet, but the rate they're losing money, it's not going to be much of a fortress much longer.
2: Yeah, car and driver did, did not like the R1S. All right, uh, Brenda.
4: With Stryker, really well positioned to benefit from a huge backlog of electric procedures that are set to happen next year. And Jenny Harrington.
5: Okay, here's one that's way sold off, a 9% yield, trades at 12 times earning. It's RDA. They make aluminum cans. It's got a terrific balance sheet. Maturities are far out. And it was sold off because it came out in a SPAC structure and everybody hated companies yep. that were associated with that. I, I so like it.
2: I like it. For it. Cheap now. So new names all show Thank long. You. And by the way, Jenny, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going out and buying a That's bag of truth. clams after the show. That is the truth. That's what we're having for dinner. Thank you. Thanks for watching, everybody.
5: Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to ship. I'm
2: You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern,
3: only on CNBC.
8: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.